Tired of city living? Maybe the life of a country lawyer is for you. Or maybe it isn't. I'm Stephanie Francis Ward, and joining me today on Asked and Answered is Bruce Cameron, a Minnesota lawyer who writes a popular blog about rural law practices. Also joining us is Lorelai Laird, an ABA Journal reporter who wrote this month's cover story about what it's like to practice law in small towns and rural areas. What is the need for lawyers in rural areas, Lorelai? Would you say, based on what you uh, discovered in your reporting, is that a growing need right now? Um, yes, I'd say so. Um, it was hard to track down statistics on this because nobody keeps good track of it. But anecdotally, I can tell you that people say, in, in all the states that I looked into it, people, um, young lawyers are not moving to rural areas. They have a lot of debt. They don't want to go someplace where the money is maybe not as good as it is in cities. And they're young. They want to go out and meet people. And if they're married, their spouses generally want a job. And that's easier to find when you're in a city. So that's, as a result, there are a lot of older lawyers who are getting towards retirement age and they just can't find anybody to take over their practices. And this causes problems for people who live in those areas because they still have legal needs. They still have to write wills and get divorced and all those other things. And they have to drive two, three hours to a city to do it now, which is expensive and not necessarily a good solution. Okay. And Bruce, can you give us a sense of what kind of income can a lawyer earn if he or she moves to a rural area? I think that depends. I think you can make a a good living. You can provide for your family. You can put stuff away for retirement. Uh, You can pay your bills. But I think the the trick is is learning how to uh, balance the need to develop a business and the need to have an income to make make money. If you spend too much time with focusing on making money at the expense of developing your practice or developing new clients, you go through boom and bust cycles and and that affects your overall income. But then again, if you spend all your time and all your money advertising and networking, you're burning through your capital before you get that income in the door. All right. So there's more clients maybe who need lawyers in rural areas, but it's a smaller pool. But at the same time, For the most part, housing costs is a lot cheaper usually in rural areas. Would you say it all kind of works out? You may not be able to charge someone, say, $300 an hour, but you also don't have to pay $5,000 a month in rent, perhaps. I think you're right. I think it does all balance out. Uh, Cost of living is is less. um, And frankly, it's far easier to keep chickens in your backyard if you're out in the country than than if you're in a city. Though I think some of the expenses – uh, shift. You may have higher housing costs in a city, but you're going to have higher transportation costs out in, in a in a rural area. You're you're going to be driving everywhere, so you need to expect you know gasoline to be a, a large factor in a budget. Okay, can you tell us a bit how is is client development different? I think what just to go back to what you just said about if you spend too much time working, you're going to have boon and bust times. You got to do the networking as well. How is client development different in rural areas and more urban places? I think it's much more about making personal connections and being involved in a community than it is strictly advertising or web presence or your participation on social media. And the other thing, it's it's a hundred percent about your reputation. I mean, you're in a small community, and everybody's going to know you, or come to hear about you. 
And so if you're not building positive world, word of mouth, if you're not building that you know, community involvement, you're just not going to really develop much clientele. You know, that's how how things work a little bit differently in a in a large city. If you mess something up, you, you know, there's there's another client coming down the pike. But in a small town, everybody's going to hear about your mistakes. Lorelai, what was your sense in reporting this of how client development was different for folks who moved out to a rural area? Well, I think that because it's a smaller community, folks told me that they, you know, everybody really knows everybody. And uh, one of the the young people I talked to, uh, Cody Cooper, said uh, as soon as he he got there, people already knew who he was because it wasn't a very big community. This was in Wishack, North Dakota, which is how the article starts out. Um, Before he was even, you know, fully settled, everybody knew who he was. They knew who his wife was. They knew what they were doing there. And how did he feel about that? Did he like it, or was it like, oh, this is weird? (laughs) Well, I think he expected it, but um, yeah, it sounded to me like he was getting to like it. And you know, because he had to uh, wait for a bar admission in North Dakota, he was sort of taking advantage of the time by doing a lot of client development doing a lot of social things in order to make sure that everybody liked him and had a good reputation. He had a good reputation. And did you get the sense that it was easy for the couple to make friends and have a rewarding social life in the town where they moved to? You know, I didn't ask about that. I do think that with a limited pool of of people your age, you might have to expand a little further out in terms of socializing. Mm -hmm. Okay. I was also curious, Bruce, do you think it's a good idea to seriously think about buying, say, a retiring lawyer's practice when you move to a rural area? Or is that is that worth the money? Because there's no guarantees. So the question is, should you buy a practice? Or maybe is it better just to go out on your own and gather clients on your own? I'm going to give you the standard lawyer answer. It depends. Um, <laughs> of course. There are pros and cons to, to each. If you buy a practice the right way, um, you're going to get a mentor. You're going to get some name recognition. There might be a, a book of business there, and you'll definitely have you know an entree into the community through through the the retiring lawyer. On the downside, if you, you there's always the possibility that you're going to get stuck with a, a large overhead, you know, office buildings, staff, leased equipment that you may or may not need, things like that, and no book of business. It, the Practice may have been just a lot of one-off deals. And there's no repeat business, um, so you've got to weigh both those sides. Starting on your own means you get to design everything you want. You get to keep your overhead low. You get to have full control over everything. On the other hand, you've got to get out there and hustle for business, find mentors, and and it's going to be a lot of long, very long hours um, for very little return initially. But I think you know. If you've if you've got access to the capital or you can swing uh, the purchase correctly, buying a, a practice is a, is a great idea. It gets gets you that leg up into the community, gets you that introduction, and that's huge. Okay, great. We are going to take a quick break, and when we come back, we're going to talk about whether it's important to be a generalist or a specialist in a rural law practice. This ABA Journal podcast is brought to you by Westlaw Next. Folder sharing on Westlaw Next enables you to tap into previous research across organizational boundaries like never before, saving you time from reinventing the wheel. Learn more at westlawnext.com. And we're back. 
Bruce, do you think it's important to be a generalist or a specialist if you're going to open a practice in a small town? I think it's going to depend a lot on the community where, where you're practicing. If you're the only lawyer in town, then you're pretty much going to have to be something of a generalist or at least have a very, very good referral list. But if there are other lawyers in, in town, you can probably get away with focusing on a few areas, things that are complementary to what the other other attorneys in town are doing. I do know of a few attorneys, uh, role attorneys, who focus exclusively on a single practice area, but they're very rare. And the things they have in common is they, they're generally practicing in towns where there are other lawyers or other law firms. They've generally been practicing for some considerable amount of time, which means they've put a great deal of time into becoming the local go-to guy for this area. Um, and they're all in smaller firms where, where other lawyers provide complementary services so that the firm itself is a is generalist, but the lawyers are, are specialized. But basically, a, a lawyer is going to be a, a specialist in a single area. It means that they've spent their careers building a reputation as as an expert. You know, they've they've that's their career, and a lot of them right now are are either considering or nearing retirement. Lorelai, in your experience reporting this, what's your sense of some practice areas that tend to be the most underserved in rural areas? I am not sure what is underserved. Um, well, okay, in North Dakota, because they have an oil boom there, um, all the lawyers are working on, especially the north, the north, I think, western part of the state, I forget, mm-hmm. um, but all the lawyers are working on oil rights, mineral rights, and there's big money in that. But as a result of that, the legal needs of ordinary folks like criminal defense and divorce and so forth are not getting taken care of. And so they have a lawyer shortage there of a slightly different kind. In right. general, I don't. I imagine that the your small town lawyer probably handles a little bit of everything. That's what um, Jake Fisher told me. He is one of the first South Dakota State Bar um, lawyers participating in the South Dakota State Bar's program. Okay, I'm also curious about how you manage conflicts, Lorelai. I believe you spoke with a couple who are doing this now. And they chose to have different practice focuses so they wouldn't be conflicted out and could maybe refer business to each other. Is that correct? Um, Yes, I think so. I actually wonder if interesting ethical issues might not turn up just because everybody's going to know everybody in that situation. But Uh um, I expect if you you couldn't do something, if, if if neither one of them could pick up something, they might have to send it out to Bismarck, which is, I think, almost two hours away. And Bruce, do you think, is it a different way of looking and thinking about potential conflicts when you have a rural practice, just because there's the pool is so much smaller, both of lawyers and clients, or is it really not that different than in a more urban area? I think, well, first off, the ethical rules really don't change between right. rural and metropolitan attorneys. And so I, my case is I think you know, that a rural attorney is going to be a little bit more careful with doing their conflict checks, again, it's part of you know your reputation. You're gonna you want to be the ethical guy. You want to be doing everything correctly. So if it you have to bow out, you have to bow out. In any case where I've had to have a conflict check and it's come up uh, where I I have to bow out, the parties understand. I mean, it's it's just a matter of explaining I can't do this because. 
it would be you know unethical. It's not mm-hmm. it's not the right way to do it. The only thing I've you know occasionally there's been times where I've been in doubt, and it's a call to the local uh, PR board, and they'll give me an opinion. And I think it, I've always taken the the uh, stance that it's good to err on the side of caution. Okay. Say if you, let's say you move to a small town, it also happens to be the town of the state's largest dairy producer. Bruce, in your experience, have you seen that those big businesses in the state, are they willing to work with a lawyer who comes to town? Or is it a little hard to to get their business initially? Well, if you're expecting to work for them uh, day one, no, you're not going to get the work. But if you've got positive word of mouth, if you've got a solid reputation, Maybe. What you have to understand is, you know, say that large dairy producer or practically any successful farmer in the area who's doing a lot of business, they're businessmen and they're going to have, most likely they're going to already have an attorney or if not, they they already have, you know, a list of numbers that they call when they need legal services. And it's not we're going to hire the local lawyer because he's the local lawyer. It's we're going to hire the local lawyer because they do something better. They provide better value. They understand our situation better. They understand the community better. They are there to help this farmer make money to reach their business goals. If you can do that, then you've got a good shot at getting hired. When you do first go to the smaller town and you're opening up your practice, are there some ways that you think are unique to a small town that you can kind of keep the biz- your bread and butter developing that, you know, get in business? Are there some ways that are unique to a smaller town when you first start going that you can share with us? How do you keep your firm afloat for the first year? Boy, that's that's a tough one. I think that's going <laughs> to that's going to be, you know, unique to to every t- small town and every every person. I started doing small matters, you know, a contract review here, a wind lease there, uh, a couple of probates. But, you know, the first, probably the first month or so, it's a matter of just getting out and meeting people, letting people know you're there, uh, letting, finding out how they might want you to structure your law practice. My original idea was, you know, I'd make, you know, house calls, exclusively house calls. and, And that didn't work because people want an office. They don't want, you know, the lawyer driving up to their door and telling everybody their business. They want a brick and mortar place where they can come in, but they they opened up to the idea of house calls as long you know once I had established the brick and mortar part, making house calls was easy and everybody sort of likes that flexibility. So you really have to listen to your town, make those connections, and then understand that the work is going to dribble in a little bit at a time until you've started making a lot of. Uh, positive connections, a lot of word of mouth built that reputation, and then it starts coming in a little more steadily. And do you have advice? I think sometimes, perhaps when you move to a new area, you have to be really mindful of how you're perceived. For instance, I mean, say you moved from St. Paul, and if you always said, well, in St. Paul, we always did it this way, that probably doesn't go over very well with the new people you meet, I would imagine. I mean, would you all agree? Definitely. You need to spend some time listening and finding out how the small town you're in works. Far better to listen than, than express opinions for a long time. But you have to remember, you're, you know, until you've had kids there and maybe have grandchildren there, you're the new people in town. Granted, until the next new people show up, you know. 
in Lorelai, in your experience reporting this, would you, is your take that most of the people who have done this, who you spoke with, are really happy with their decisions? Yeah, I'd say so. The uh, fellow I mentioned before in South Dakota, Jake Fisher, he sat down and he made a very, I think, a very thorough review of the the decision with his wife. And they had moved from Minneapolis-St. Paul. And one of the factors in the decision was, yes, we're going to make a little bit less money because his wife was going to go from full-time to part-time. But they decided it was worth it. And when people talk about why it's worth it, they think about lifestyle a lot. You know, being able to be in a small town with their kids, having access to farms and, I guess, fresh air, to invoke a cliche. (laughs) All right. Well, that's everything I have today. Did anyone want to add anything else? I do. And um, it is this. When I spoke to a uh, law placement professional from um, one of the Kansas law schools, she made sure to point out that million-dollar deals happen in rural America all the time. You don't have to be doing mergers and acquisitions in New York to do a million-dollar deal. In rural America, there is a lot of land, there are mineral rights, there are things that are worth a ton of money. A lot of farmers are millionaires on paper, so do not think all the action is in cities. All right. Well, thank you all so much for your time. I really appreciate it. You're quite welcome. Thank you. Thanks for joining us. I'm Stephanie Francis Ward, and please join us next time for the next episode of the ABA Journal's Asked and Answered. This ABA Journal podcast is brought to you by Westlaw Next, powered by WestSearch, the world's most advanced legal search engine delivering the best results in seconds. Learn more at westlawnext.com.